So we are in Isaiah 9 as we're talking about peace this morning, our third week in the Christmas series. Um, as you're turning there, Isaiah 9, we um, have had quite a weekend. Um, Friday, food bank, we're averaging eight to 900 families. Uh, we're feeding every Friday. That's over pretty, about 3,500 people. We have on uh, Saturday, we have the toy drive. We gave out hundreds of toys. Um, to hundreds of kids and their, and their families. Uh, spent the morning doing that, it was great. Then we had Prime Timers, which is our 50 plus group that met right here in this room, about 120 plus uh, Prime Timers here eating together, celebrating, singing Christmas carols. It was a, it was a great time. But, but Prime Timers 50 plus, let me just talk with you just for a moment. Coming up in 2024, we're starting something new. We're calling Wednesdays at New Life. And these are gonna be a series of one-offs that we're gonna do. So on, on the 17th of January, that Wednesday, we're gonna be talking about stewarding your future. We're gonna have uh, an attorney, yes, we're allowing attorney into the room, who is gonna come and talk to us about creating uh, wills, living trusts, um, healthcare directives like DNRs. We're gonna have someone from the financial sector come and talk to us about how we secure our finances in the banking in industry, finance, checking, investments, those sorts of things. So we're gonna have these people come in and really help us to think practically about our future and plan wisely. There's no charge for this. It's our way of, of blessing you and, and equipping you, but it's good to have some people who are, are experts in the field come and really help us to think wisely about our, our future because that doesn't happen accidentally, right? We gotta plan that. So that's coming up on the 17th. We'll be uh, making that available for you to sign up uh, for that in, in the near future. And, and if you're under 50, we may allow you to sign up as well and come, just so, so you know. But that is on Wednesdays, Wednesday mornings, Wednesday at New Life, so that's coming up soon. We this morning are talking about increasing peace. So we're on the theme of peace, but I'm going to talk specifically about increasing peace out of Isaiah 9. And there's four things that I, I want to point out in, in this passage. It's four kind of themes I've, I've picked out. You have peace where you have presence. You have peace where you have authority. You have peace where God's name is known. And you have peace where God brings increase. And he's the one who brings increase. So how many of you laid down your phone somewhere and you can't find it, right? You're probably at home and you can't find it anywhere. We've all, we've all done that. And, and it's uh, 9.58 and you need to call your boss at 10 o'clock and the clock is ticking and you cannot find your phone. And what's worse is you begin to recognize everyone else is gone. You're at home alone, so no one can call your phone. And what's even worse, even if they could call you, you remember you left it on silent. <laughs> And you cannot find it. And what, what have I done to myself? You know, where, where did I, I leave that thing? So I'm going to try and retrace my steps to try and figure out where I put this thing down. And it's kind of like trying to find your peace. Where, where did you lose it? Where did you put it down? And, and how is it that I could lose my peace so, so easily? Probably because we go and visit peace, but we don't live there. So we need to go back through our day, and we need to discover what was it. Was it that, that text? Was it a call? Was, was something you saw on Facebook or Instagram? Or was it something someone said to you, and all of a sudden, you can't find your peace? Where did you put it down? 
And, and as we look at this chapter, if you were to read chapter 8 beforehand, you would see that it's a, it's a difficult chapter. It's kind of a depressing chapter. It ends with this verse, verse 22 of chapter 8. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. So that, that mood of doom and gloom dominates chapter 8, and then we get to chapter 9, and we see in, in verse 2, those people in darkness have seen a great light. And it's the beginning of them being able to find their peace. Let's pray together. And Lord, we recognize that most of us, either today or sometime during this week, we have somehow lost our peace. That we laid it down somewhere, and it's difficult getting it back. So Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us Think about the patterns and habits of our life, the choices and decisions that we make. And as we recall that, that you came as a baby in a manger, you, the Prince of Peace, came so that we might have life and life abundantly and might live in your perpetual peace. Recall us to yourself this morning, Lord Jesus. Recall us by your presence so that we might be people who live in your peace. And so speak to us, Lord, by your spirit and by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 2 says, those people who, who have been uh, walking in darkness, those people who have been living in darkness. And as we look at that, whether you're living or walking in darkness, it's self-made. You created that. God didn't create it. Yeah, yeah, you may have the help of somebody who helped you create that darkness, or the demonic is certainly willing, as evil always is, to perpetuate darkness. But that's not God's intention for you. He calls us in, into the light, and anything that we love and get excited about brings light to us. You know, uh, think about your kids or, or, or grandkids, and, and if they come and they show you something that they created either at school or a Christmas program or whatever, you say, wow, that is fabulous. That looks so good. You know, your kid could go to the backyard and pull up a bunch of weeds and show them to you, and you say, oh, that is fabulous. Did you do that? They could pick a piece of broken concrete out of your driveway and bring it to you, and a grandparent would say, this is is beautiful. Did you do this? Why? Because the person who's handing it to them, they love. And it doesn't matter what that person does. It's all good. And because you love that person, you have a relationship with that kid. You love whatever they do. And you want to show everybody. You want to celebrate with everybody. You want to show. Just ask any parent or grandparent if they have any photos of their kids. Let me just show you. I've only got, uh, as I learned about one woman, she only has 18,000 photos uh, one of those is of her husband. The other 18,000 is of somebody else. So their grandkids. Let me, show, let me show them to you, you know. Sometimes you, would you leave me alone? I can't get away from these people. But they, they want to show you they're excited. Why? Because they love this person. They're proud of this person. They, they want to bring you and share that light with you. And that's what Father God is to you. He wants to bring and share that light with you. The problem is, is too often we're, we're people who hide in darkness, and sometimes we crawl out of our cave and sometimes we don't. But in our cave, we find that no one knows us, no one loves us. It's self-made misery. Sometimes hatred, anger, bitterness is all part of that cave experience or we're busy poking other, uh, each other's eyes out. And so it, in a eye for eye world, leaves everyone's 
blind. God has said, let me bring my light. My light wants to dawn in your darkness. And what is that light? That light is Holy Spirit presence. It's what God brings into our life. And you know, you only have peace where you have his presence. And he's the one who creates that. And that's what makes that all possible. How do I know that? John 14, 17 says this. Jesus is speaking to disciples who are afraid in the upper room. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You see, peace is not the absence of, some, uh, of something. It is the presence of someone. Instead of circumstances determining our peace, we rely on his presence to determine our peace. You see, no amount of trying, of striving, of bargaining with God will bring that. It's when we recognize that he freely and abundantly wants to give us that peace because he paid the price for us. That's why he came. That's why the baby in manger is there. And when we welcome and receive the presence of the baby, who is the Messiah, the anointed one, the eternal God, get your head around that one, we recognize that in his presence, we have peace because there's relationship, because we're choosing to live as he lived. Verse six says to us, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. You ever been regifted? You know that experience? I was at a party once, and by the way, for those of you who I was at a party recently, and we did a gift exchange, this is not what I'm talking about. It was a few years ago. We were at a party, and uh, this, this woman, uh, let's call her Vanessa, was, you know, wanted cosmetics, and she opens the package, and there is a set of socket wrenches, and the name tag says, To Ralph. And, and, and a woman immediately leaped off the couch, reached across the room, took the name tag off of that and put it in her pocket and was kind of looking around. Does anyone notice what I just did? I mean, it was really, it was, talk about awkward, right? She had been caught re-gifting and made a mistake on the name that she's supposed to give something to. God never re-gifts. He's given to you personally. There's no exchanges. It's just for you. Notice it says, to us, that is to you, a baby is born. To you a son is given. It's personal. It can't be regifted. You're to take it. You're to receive it. You're to walk in it. It's just for you, to us. A child is born, is, is that flesh and blood child in the manger in Bethlehem, in his humanity. A son is given, is the Holy Son, the divine Son, the eternal one who sits at the right hand of the Father, the deity. That, that's what the Son is. He, is. he is given. Notice that there's different language. One is born and, and the other is given. You see, God's Christmas gift came wrapped in the person of deity, wrapped in a package of humanity. John Phillips has, has put it like this. The great mystery of the manger is that God should be able to translate deity into humanity without discarding the deity or distorting the humanity. The incarnation was a true and genuine merger of perfect deity and sinless humanity. And it's that presence, in that presence, when we choose to put ourselves there, we have peace. And when you do that, it moves to the next one, which is you, where you have peace, you have authority. You have peace where you have authority. It says the government will be on his shoulders. The government means rule. It means kingdom. That's what he's talking about there. 
On his shoulders is, is an, like an insignia or a pal that you would find in a military uni uniform. But, but what it really means here for us is the word Messiah, anointed one, where we get the word Shemin, which means oil. So the word in Hebrew is Mashiach. That's translated into Shemin. That's the root word, and that means oil, because when they would anoint a king, the oil would come down his head and come off of his shoulders. And the shoulders are also a sign of a robe, a royal robe that would be put on. So here is royal deity for us, ruling over all things, establishing his kingdom as only he can do. You see, you have peace where you have authority. And where you have authority, there's going to be peace. They, they, go, they go together because of his presence. Authority is the given, God-given right to exercise Holy Spirit empowerment in the spheres of influence he's put you. That's what he wants for you. That's how he wants you to live. But you'll never have any authority unless you live in his presence. Because his presence brings peace, which allows you to then exercise God-given authority in areas of your life. And it's connected to peace. But see, we want control. <laughs> but control is not authority. Control is human effort to manipulate somebody else for your own sinful purposes. And, and whenever someone is feeling disrespected or disregarded, that's usually a symptom of human sin that has somehow failed in that enterprise. Because when God-given authority is there, it is driven by Holy Spirit presence, which is pure. And is not driven by your own concerns. Control cannot bring peace. And the government, the rule, the, the kingdom, God's rule, is best revealed in the ministry of Jesus. His words, so his demonstration of the Spirit and his declaration of the gospel are things that come in such a way that they change everything because they're done with great authority. And Isaiah, picking up on this later on in Isaiah 48, he, he'll say this. He says, if only you would pay attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river your well-being like the waves of the sea. If only you would have paid attention to his words, it would have made all the difference in the world. Paul picks up the same idea in Romans 8, verse 6, where he says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the, the spirit is what? Life and peace. That's what he wants for us. That's where empowerment is. So when we honor the name of Jesus, you notice the songs that we, we sang earlier. And as Christy led us through declarations there that we're declaring his name. And when we do that, peace comes. And it's through that peace that you have authority because of the relationship. And further to that, we believe that that presence brings peace. And that presence then will release an authority whereby we can minister to those that we love in a way that is God-given and not attempt to control. Then comes because we know his name. You notice again the emphasis on singing the name of Jesus, declaring the name of Jesus as we did earlier. You have peace where God's name is known. You have peace where God's name is known. And he will be called. So what were you called growing up? Anyone give you any nicknames? Were there any pet names? Are there any childhood names? I, I have one. Don't say anything, my wife. My wife knows it. There, but you know what's, what's weird when I've talked to people about this? You know what they remember in terms of names? When they're an eight years old at school, <laughs> what people call them, right? So what, what does your name rhyme with? 
Ever had that where people mocked your name or, or made fun of your name or called you names? Isn't that weird? That's what we remember. Most people, when I ask them about that, it's the first thing they remember. They don't remember the loving words of, of their family. What they remember is the words that tore them down. And it's the name of Jesus that changes everything. I have had a demonic assault in the middle of the night, and all I have to do is say the name of Jesus, and it's gone. Because there's power in the name. I mean, I'm talking literally had those happen, and just speak the name, and it changes the atmosphere. It changes everything. There's power in that name. So there's four names that he... that that. Isaiah uses under the inspiration of the Spirit to describe this coming child. There are four names. I'm going to put four words next to him. Profound, because he's the wonderful counselor. He is powerful because he's the mighty God. It's personal because it's the everlasting Father. And it's peaceful because of the Prince of Peace. He is profound he, because he is the wonderful counselor. Look through Scripture and you'll find that the word wonderful is never assigned to what a person does or who a person is. Never. Wonderful is always used only in reference to who God is and what God does. Crazy, huh? Look it up. You'll never find wonderful connected to a person. It's always connected to God. And he is the counselor because all wisdom resides in him. So just in a couple chapters from now, chapter 11, Isaiah will expand on that by, by this passage where he says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And we should have a slide. There we go. And of course, it's referring to Jesus, the Messiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, and of might, the spirit of, un, of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. No, it's the spirit at his presence comes and, and bring these things to us. It, it is why people were in awe of Jesus. And we're saying, where does he get this wisdom from? He doesn't have the education. Why doesn't he teach like our rabbis? He, has, he teaches as one with what? Authority. So wisdom and authority. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes that, that Jesus is the wisdom of God because he embodies, he incarnates each of these qualities. He shows us who God is like. Furthermore, he is powerful. He is the mighty God. That's El Gibur in, in Hebrew. The mighty one, the powerful one, the, the warrior God. And, and we know from Isaiah 9-2 that those people seeing this person, this, this light coming at, into darkness, is not just a regular human person. In fact, if you look in the next chapter, chapter 10 of Isaiah, verse 21, it refers to a, to a mighty God, and the language is exactly the same. And you look at this, and you begin to wear it. They're not talking about a human person. This is someone who's transcendent. This is someone who is holy. This is someone who goes beyond any category that we can possibly understand. And, and this is the one. This is the warrior God who at the cross engaged sin and darkness and death and Satan and defeated them all and left for us a testimony of an empty tomb that says that I am El Gibur. I am the mighty God. I have defeated all these things for your sake so that you might live in them. And so if you live in presence, you find that there is authority because you know the name and the name is what carries the authority. Why do you think that the only name of any religious figure, Buddha, Allah, or Jesus Christ, why is it only the name of Jesus is one that is used as profanity? Why do you think that is? Evil from the pit of hell. If we can desecrate this name where power is, then evil is won the day. 
But this is the mighty one. This is also the everlasting father. It's puzzling. I say, okay, wait, wait. Baby in the manger, he is the son, but he is also the father. How do I get myself, my head around that? Jesus, second person of the Trinity, is in his essence God. All the attributes of God eternally exist in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because they are the same essence and nature. So the everlasting nature of the Messiah's role is, is fulfilled from what God said to David in 2 Samuel 7. I'm going to make for you a lineage out of this, a heritage, your house. And of course, David is thinking there's going to be a lot of children for many generations, all earthly kings, of course, that are going to fulfill it. But what God means by eternity is, of course, Jesus, the eternal one, the one that has broken death. That's the one he's talking about, the everlasting father. Here is the child who's also a father, father in his love and his care, fatherly in his goodness and his compassion. This is his character. This is what he wants to show to his people. He acts towards us as a good father, a perfect father, a caring father. He's never too busy, never preoccupied, never distracted, has time for you, is interested in your life. He is provider and protector forever. This is the kind of father we're talking about. And furthermore, he's peaceful. He is the prince of peace. That, that's what he brings. He is the one who will bring in and maintain peace for not only people, but for nations and families if we invite him in. He's the one where in Luke 2, the angels say to the shepherds that here's one who brings peace on earth. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was a poet of the 19th century. He was considered one of the best American poets ever. He had national and international prominence and was so well known that, that when he died, they actually made a place for him in Westminster uh, Abbey in, in London in what they call Poet's Corner. But during the Civil War, 1861, his wife, Fanny, was sitting by a fire while he was taking a nap in the other room and her dress caught fire. And it was made of some fabric where the fire just went like this. And by the time he woke up to his wife's screaming and ran into the other room to help her, she was badly, badly burned and she died the next day. Meanwhile, his son runs off to fight in the war, comes back horribly wounded, and his nation is in total chaos and disarray that 620,000 Americans died and were murdered, the largest that our nation has, has ever experienced or felt through that battle. And in the midst of that and watching all of that, that tragedy, he writes this, I heard the bells on Christmas day, their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet the words appear of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And, and this is what the whole carol sounds like sung to us by Isaac and Shannon. Sweet, the words 
Gettysburg had just been fought. Tens of thousands of men had died and been slaughtered on the battlefield. And he writes, there is no peace. I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then his thoughts return to the Prince of Peace born at Christmas. And he says, the, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth goodwill to man. So th this, is, this is a God who gives us peace with God. This is a God who is the peace of God. This is the God who gives us peace within. This is a God who gives us peace without. This is a God who gives us peace with family, with spouse, anywhere that we agree with him and come into alignment with his presence and his authority and his name. He comes and he brings th this peace. And as we take these four titles, we recognize it beautifully describes this Messiah that is to come because Isaiah wrote 800 years before this actually happened. And then the baby is born. And then we find out not only who he is by these four descriptive phrases, but then in the next verse, verse seven, we find out what he'll do. And verse seven says, you have peace where God brings increase because there will be no end to the increase of his government and of peace, verse seven says. There is no end to the increase. And God demonstrates his character again by seeking to always expand his kingdom. That's why when we look at Jesus' parables, either it's of a tree that eventually grows and has birds resting in it, or of a mustard seed that grows into a great bush, or yeast and bread, or whatever it is. Look at his parables. Each one of them is always about increase. There, there is no maintenance mode. It doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. There's always something that Jesus is doing and his ministry shows that because wherever he goes, he drives out demons, he cleanses lepers, he feels, uh, heals the poor, feeds them, he preaches good news wherever he is because that is his nature and, and character. My, my favorite button on my dashboard of my, my car is my cruise control. And I, and I press that and I'm going along, and, and I notice, and I can tell right away who uses cruise control, who doesn't. Because I'm, I'm going along at a steady 90, no, no, um, 65 miles an hour. 
And, and I, I see some people going by me, and they just, zhoo, they go whizzing by me. And, and then I eventually pass them. And a few minutes later, I, they go whizzing by me again. And, and sometimes I'll actually observe and watch that they're, they're on the, the phone with somebody, and, which they shouldn't be, and they're having an argument, and they go faster, they go by me. Or they have someone in the car they're arguing with, or a kid is screaming in the back, whatever it is. And then they accelerate. You notice that? Whenever there's strong emotion, people accelerate, and they go like this. So I can kind of gauge their emotions, depending on or what they're listening to on the radio, by, by how they go. But for me, it's always cruise control. I'm just cruising along. Here's the thing. There is no cruise control in the kingdom of God. There is no such thing. There is no button like that. Why? Because there always is meant to be increase. And when I talk about increase, you know, we think because of Western mindset, it's got to be big and loud and volume. And all. That's not what we're talking about. It's Holy Spirit presence by his name that releases authority in our life. That can come very quietly, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So don't judge it by human standards or categories. What is the spirit doing or what, what is he saying? Because the Messiah ru rule will always spread. It always spreads. It's forever uh, spreading. It's forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying. Because he'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. And by the way, David's throne is not God's throne. David's throne is seated next to God's throne. That's where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And in fact, the angel Gabriel, when he declares to, to Mary, he says, let me give you a little insight into what this baby will be like. So out of, out of Luke chapter 1, this is Gabriel, the angel's words. He says, as you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign. There's the rule over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. He's the everlasting father. There's no end. There's no beginning to this thing. It always go, goes on. That is part of God's kingdom dynasty. And he establishes it, it says in verse 7, and upholds it with justice and righteousness. You see, justice and righteousness are always two things that peace brings. Example, Isaiah 32, verse 17 goes like this. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Do you have that? Do you know what that feels like? Do you live there? Or are you still searching for it? Can't remember where you put it down? But that's what God brings. That's what, what he wants for us. A man was on a, the New York subway. It was a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the best time to, to ride the subway in New York. I've been there quite a number of times myself. And it, there, there's no commuters on Sunday morning. It's very quiet. There's not a lot of people dashing in and out. And so as this man was sitting, riding, and enjoying the, the peace and quiet, everyone else either checking their phones. Some people were reading magazines. A lot of people had their head back, napping. It was quiet. It was, it was a, a nice, peaceful ride, which is really rare. And, and at the next stop, however, a father got on with his four kids, and the peace was shattered. The, the kids came in. They're stepping on people's toes. They're throwing things at each other. They're having fights. They're spitting at each other. They're acting out in every way possible. This goes on for a few minutes, and, and the father is sitting with his head back like, like this, seemingly taking a nap, and finally one guy next to him says, excuse me, sir, are you going to do something about this? 
and the, and the dad says, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, um, we, we just came from the hospital where their mom, my, uh, my wife, died two hours ago. And the, the kids don't know how to behave. They don't know what to do. And all the annoyance and irritation that everyone in the car had felt quickly evaporated. And compassion arrived. Where's your peace? Let's pray together. Worship team, if you'd make your way up. Lord, sometimes we're like chameleons where we take on whatever's around us, where we imitate whatever we've seen last on TikTok, where we want to be like something that we've seen on our phones, where we are people who take on the habits and customs of others around us, and thereby we lose our peace. We're, we're people that have heard about your peace, that come and visit it on occasion, but we're not people who know how to live there very well. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and increase on your people this morning in such a way that, that they would know that your authority is available for them to live life in your way and not every other way that they see, that they would know your name and that your name expresses your authority and your rule over their life and that their life is designed to increase in peace, increase in goodness, increase in compassion. And so, Lord, may we not be people who've lost our peace and don't know where to find it, but may we be people who live in your peace because we know the Prince of Peace. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?